This will be episode 37. Six. Oh, six. <laughs> hey, welcome to episode number 36. We're calling this. They said what? And we say what? It sounds like a bad parent trying to relate to kids in the 90s. Yeah. Later on. I love that scene in the live action Scooby-Doo. That's like, yo, what's up, dog? And uh, dog. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm referencing right now, you need to go watch that. Master. Are you referencing we bought a zoo? OK, that is one of my favorite quotes. And then I didn't want to keep derailing that conversation with uh, Mari. But OK, but see, here's the problem. And you probably picked up on it in the recording, but you had a personal conversation with Scott during our interview about okay. a, a shared experience. Yeah. OK. And then you had a personal conversation with Mari about a shared experience over a movie that I've never seen. And I feel very left out in those moments. Okay. What can I say other than that, you know, my college welcome fun of me because I said this once, but now it's a catchphrase. Cole, you just need to culture yourself. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Watch some movies, you know, live a little, man. Yeah, it's okay. Sorry. Anyways, so that we bought a zoo line, 30 seconds of courage, change your life, which is like it, it's only good if it works out. What happened? He walks by the this girl in like a co coffee shop. He's outside. He sees her. They make eye contact. He leaves. And then he's like, I'm going to go talk to her. And he goes back and it turns into his wife and they have a wonderful life. And it's like, That's yeah, except movie. for the moments when that doesn't work out. And yeah. So when you walk in and then you're like, oh, shoot, she's sitting with somebody. <laughs> or, or she's like, ill, what are you doing? So yeah, there's a scene in this show, Psych, that about the fake psychic detective from USA that I grew up mm -hmm. on. And in the final season, his partner is like, we bought a zoo live, Sean. And he's like crying. So he <laughs> went up to this girl. He's like, I know you love Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. Da, 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 da. And she maces him and he drives <laughs> away. He's like, we bought a zoo live. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, it is. I don't anyways. know how we got there, but. um, Because yeah. you said what? And then I said, what? Who? Whatever Who, what, we're saying. when, where, and why. All yeah. right, here's the thing we're talking about all kinds of things today, all, right? all sorts, all over the places, and things but that's how it goes. Um, yeah, we were talking about what, what do we want to talk about, and uh, <laughs> one, one of the comments that uh has been made is that we have so many like cool little sidebar conversations, even these dorky ones that we're talking about now with our guests, but. There, we could have entire episodes about one of the topics we talk about with these guests. So we're like, yeah. why don't we just spend some time unpacking some of those ideas a little bit more? Um, obviously, they won't be here, but you know that's all right. We'll do our best. We'll speak for them. No worries. So maybe we'll start with something from Scott and then jump to Mari. But first, let's um, hear a word from our sponsor for this week. Yeah, what you didn't Boom. know is Cole does that live every time. It's not every single at it's, all. it's a it's an ad read every single week. No, but we appreciate you guys for taking time to listen to that here. Full transparency. We've made a whole two dollars and 30 cents from those. So yeah, over we're how moving. Many, like over like 300 <laughs> listens. Yeah, <laughs> we are uh, well on our way to being millionaires and quitting our jobs. Uh, but yeah, like Mike said, we have all of these different moments in our interviews and in our conversations. And as I'm sure, you know, we, we generally try to keep it to about an hour with the guests. It's kind of what we agree upon when we set it up. And so we got to keep moving sometimes, even though it would be good to just sit and to unpack something for the rest of that hour. So uh, we thought, yeah, we don't have the opportunity to do it with those people, but we can do that ourselves. And so Looking back at the Scott episode, there was one thing that's kind of stuck with me. And uh, so we're just going to play it for you here and then um, we'll reflect on it a little bit. For me, the way that I approach that is I have to find symbols and metaphors. So uh, and I think what's really helpful as an artist, and this is something I personally have said, is um, I have rules, which is I never it's not that I've never, but I don't make crosses and I don't make pictures of Jesus because we have plenty of those. So I give myself limitations on how do I talk. And then even in like a writing exercise, like if I was with a group of 
college students who are all Christians. And I was like, how would you describe your faith if you couldn't use the word God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> faith? <laughs> like I gave all the buzzwords. And I was like, could you still describe your faith? And they're like, I don't think I can. I was like, so you only, so then what, what then happens is to become obsessed with those words and your word policing. You're not listening beyond the words themselves. Anyways, another story. So with artwork, so, you know, maybe this artist wants to do crosses and pictures of Jesus. That's fine. But I would say, how can you represent aspects of what does forgiveness look like if you can't use a cross or Jesus? It could be some kind of form of reconciliation, bringing something that's been separated back together. What does hope look like? Hope is like realizing that the story isn't done yet, that you're in the middle and not the end. How would you, what does it look like to have perspective? Could that be an eye class? Could that be a ship in a larger context? Could, you know, like what are the symbols and metaphors that speak to those things? And then start developing that. That's what I've been spending the last decade doing is developing a visual vocabulary for these things and, and still am. Like when I come across something, I'm like, mm, how would I image that? This is, that was one of the rapid fire questions. Um, and uh, I love the idea. And especially as um, Lent has come around, we've kind of done one and a half episodes about Lent slash Ash Wednesday now. Um, but I I've gotten a number of questions from people and I've seen stuff online. I was just telling you uh, about this before we started recording. I it kind of blows my mind that people are still so like vigorously against things like Ash Wednesday and some of the languages, it's not in the Bible. It's not used in the Bible. And and I understand like that sentiment, right? Because there are a lot of things that people add all the time to faith, scripture, et cetera. And it's like, that's part of the tradition of man. And it's not part of the Holy Scriptures. But it's like, yeah, but neither are any of the images we use. Mm. So I was having this long conversation. I, I won't rehash it all here in this moment. Um, but, you know, one of those common phrases... Yeah. or I, I guess common frustrations that people have um, is the language like I'm a Christian, not a Catholic. And it's like, all right, well, clearly we're not defining <laughs> terms properly. Right. And I know what you're trying to get at, but there's a fundamental belief that those are two different terms and they are different, but Catholic falls under Christian. So then it's like, well, no Catholics can't be Christians because xyz and it's like okay well let's define what the prerequisites are to be a quote-unquote christian and it turns out okay catholics are christians they're just they disagree with you about certain things and they're like yeah like lent and ash wednesday it's like well actually there's a lot of protestants <laughs> that follow those things too so really it comes down to a lot of things about like the eucharist like is it literally jesus body and blood but that's not part of the prerequisite usually for what it means to be a christian that yeah. Or if it is, then the prerequisite list gets really long, um, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so it's like you, you get down to things like, well, which images do they use? And people say like, oh, like Ash Wednesday, it's like a, a tradition. It's not in scripture. It's like, okay, but neither is hanging a cross in your house, right? Mm. One of the things Scott says, he doesn't do imagery around crosses and depictions of Jesus. Those are very common things that people have depictions of all around. So clearly images are powerful in reminding us of our faith, invoking certain ideas or evoking certain ideas, because why do we use the cross? It reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, if you take a really um, uh, symbol, symbolic, symbolistic, symbolic <laughs> approach to communion, right? It's literally do this in remembrance of me. And so we eat the bread and drink the wine because we think it's a reminder. It's a symbol. It's in one sense, an image of this other thing. And it's like, oh, so you are okay with images. So now it's a question mm -hmm. of which images, right? Yeah. So uh, I just had that long, it was a much longer conversation shocker um, talking about that with someone. But um, yeah, I think Scott's point about the, the power of images and and how we utilize them is so so interesting one of the things that stood out to me earlier from the conversation with him is just like if this isn't serving you then why are you doing it and the longer i've journeyed down this road or whatever um i just think that that's a lot more true than 
than maybe I would have thought in the past. Like I can see how somebody listening to that and who comes from a more conservative background or kind of holds to scripture a little bit more literally would be like, well, then you're a heretic if you don't believe the thing that it says here. And I, I get that. I understand that. And I can, I can empathize with that, but, but I think I'm just at the place where like this, stuff. it's not that I'm not taking this seriously. And I think that's pretty evident from my life. And if it's not, then I, I can't do anything to explain that away to somebody. But if this stuff is not serving me, if it's not helping me understand who God is a little bit more and um, helping me to engage with the divine a little bit more, I guess, faithfully, then I'm just not interested in it because sometimes conversations, um, and I'm not saying this is what's happening in that conversation you were having, having, but it's it reminds me of conversations where we talk about things that surround the thing and it really just kind of keeps us from having to to do anything about it or to to kind of like have any transformation in our lives and that's what i really struggle with is like in my own life i've had these conversations tons of times with people where i'm just like oh you're actually not you're not interested in what that answer provides you like we're just having a conversation about this stuff <laughs> and like i'm largely just not interested in that anymore and and it's kind of difficult because it has pushed me out of a lot of conversations around faith but i don't think they're conversations about faith hmm. and so where i tend to kind of back off from those conversations people are like why doesn't he talk about this because isn't he like quote unquote a pastor or doesn't he work in a church or things like that? And I'm like, kind of what, what Scott was saying is, is like those conversations, um, like they're, what are they doing? What are they, how are they helping this situation? How are they helping us grow? How are they helping us go anywhere? Yeah. Because a lot of times it's just like, okay, let's reinforce what we already thought. And I'm open to, when I go into those conversations, I'm open to hearing a, a thought that has been around for a while and seeing if that actually is the best way to move and go to, or if it is this new way or this, or this different way that might, that might be a little, uh, in my opinion, more faithful. But if, if I can be swayed in the other direction, I'm, I can be swayed in the other direction. And it's just like, I don't think that's the conversation most people are wanting to have. It's like, oh, I can't bring them to the, the point that I'm making. So I'm just going to stop the conversation. And it's like, well, then why are we having this conversation? Right. Like there's no point in it. And again, please don't hear me saying that the conversation you had was, was pointless um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of times where we just kind of get caught up in our own um community our own background our own understanding the shared language we have in our in our groups and mm -hmm. uh we like it takes somebody pointing those out before we can even like think about them differently it, yeah yeah and so that that's completely different than okay we've rehashed this conversation 95 times and i'm at the same place you're at the same place you're not <laughs> you're not uh changing my mind and I feel like I'm living this out more faithfully from the position that I'm in. Now, can you be living that out faithfully? Sure, from your position, but um, I don't see that evidence. And so that's what makes it difficult for me to say like, yeah, let's, let's re-engage this conversation. I'm just kind of like over it at that point, if that makes sense. Oh, it, it totally does. Because that's the, I mean... The, the fundamental question of caring for our own health, right, is, you know, which which debates and arguments are we going to even begin <laughs> to have? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the people listening, most of you already know us really well. So you know this about us. So I'm not trying to imply that we're geniuses or something like that. But obviously, we, we've gone to school for some amount of time in a more professional setting to study Bible, theology, etc., so naturally people start to go, oh yeah, like explain this crazy complex concept to me yeah. <laughs> and why it's such a big deal. I'm like, and multiple times I've said to people, I really don't want to have that conversation today with you. And they're like, why? I really want to learn. And I'm like, I, I believe that you do, but 
you know, I, I talk to my teens about this a lot. I'm like you are asking a very complex question and you want a short and simple answer. And it's mm-hmm. just because the question was only 12 words long doesn't mean it's not immensely complex. And so, yeah, yeah we could talk about, you know, women's roles in the Bible. Like, okay, well, like Paul says this, therefore women are X. Like, right. Well, that depends a whole lot on our view of biblical interpretation, which depends a whole lot on our view of church history, which depends a whole lot on 17 other factors that I don't want to say I have to convince you of, but you have to be aware of those factors and not just aware of the definitions, but actually read examples of them. It's not something I can solve in six minutes. And if I try to reduce it to a six minute explanation, you'll go, well, that's not really convincing. So that's a dumb idea. it's like, well, yeah, (laughs) like it it totally is. I mean, I'm sure that's what the freaking concept of gravity was a a crazy, stupid idea. If someone just said, oh yeah, gravity, like explain it, Newton. He's like, "Um, hold you to the ground. (laughs) Yeah, that's gravity. Like that doesn't make sense. He's like, well, sorry, I can't explain the mathematics to someone. There's a great Jim Gaffigan bit that he's talking about how when his wife had brain cancer, he was so upset because his doctor was comparing the tumor sizes to fruit. He's like, Oh, it's like a kiwi. It's like a plum. He's like, this is my wife's life. He's like, don't worry. I asked my wife before telling this joke. He's like, it just dawned on me. It's like, it's not because the doctor's stupid. It's because I'm stupid. He's like, this guy, he'll understand fruit. Let me break it down for him like that. He likes food. (laughs) And it's like, I'm not saying that I try to do that to people. Absolutely not. But that sometimes we, we straw man arguments rather than steel man arguments, right? That's something mm-hmm. I really respect about um, Lex Friedman, who's a podcaster. He's got all kinds of crazy guests on, which is fascinating. But he, when he asks a controversial question to a guest, he says, how would you st- steel man the argument against you? Mm. And it's fascinating to watch guests kind of scramble for a second. And this is like, the most annoying assignment that we have in school, right? And you're forced in a project to take a side of a debate that you don't (laughs) like. And then by the end of it, you can actually see a little bit of the argument. And that's the whole point that the conversation Mm -hmm. I was having that we were talking about it, the person wasn't anti Lent or anything to my knowledge. We were just talking broadly. So it wasn't like, I felt like it was a pointless conversation, but so often, you know, we have to have the wisdom to recognize when is this conversation going to be fruitful and worthwhile and not? I forget the proverb off the top of my head, but you know, there's a proverb that says, um, I think it's, I'll find it by the end of the episode, but the, the verse five says, don't answer a fool according to their folly or you'll become foolish, you know, in their yeah, eyes. Yeah. And the immediate next verse is answer fools according to their folly, lest they become wise in their own eyes. In, the, in and, others' eyes, yeah, and it was like, I think. so. I don't so know. You should you, probably look that up. We should probably so, fact check the Bible. <laughs> all right, we got it. Proverbs twenty six four and five. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Mm. Verse five. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Uh, the self confident fool thinks too highly of himself and his opinions, and he shares them freely. And so the point being, one is apparently you can't just memorize proverbs and apply them, all of them simultaneously, because a lot of them are contradictory. Wisdom Mm -hmm. is knowing when to apply them and when to not. So there are moments, and and we'll use the word fool very loosely here, um, but there are times when it's like, I can't even begin to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And I don't have the energy to, and frankly, it's not my job to, like, I don't owe that to you. Um, or vice versa. And there are spaces where we can have those conversations, such as this podcast, and we can try to dive in. People, you know, have said, well, why don't you do an episode about this and this and this? Like, that's all great. It also takes like 12 hours minimum research for us to not just be talking out of our behinds about certain things. So, um, and yeah. it's, it's not, it's not helpful for you either listening. If, if you don't, not listening, sorry. It's not helpful for the person who's asking the question for us to start from where we're coming from all the time, because it's like you're either going to see that person as what we would consider, quote unquote, a heretic or somebody who's spreading false information or these sorts of things. But it it literally isn't true. Like we have 
fundamental proof about certain or not fundamental proof. We have, we have absolute proof of certain things archaeologically about scripture that would blow people's minds if we just dropped them on them. But we're not going to do that because it's not right. We understand what they're doing in the Hebrew language in some of the stories and how if you read them that way, there's literally no way a Hebrew person would think this is a true story, but there's still a truth that's in it. And right. So, and yeah. And then even that premise, right, is, well, then I don't agree with that premise because yeah. I think it's all literal, which is totally a it's part of the Christian tradition, part of Christian history to interpret that way. It's not the only way that people right. have interpreted. And so I'm not saying throw that out the window, but it, the problem is the moment someone hears things like that, it can just end the conversation. Yep. So we're not really accomplishing something. So from our vantage point, it, it takes a whole lot of a deal. I know there are a number of people that listen to this podcast who have said, Hey, we love these episodes. Just so you know, we're not going to share them with, people right now i'm like yeah and i don't share it with everybody why because there are people i believe that are in a place where they can grapple with some ideas and people that it would just turn them off entirely to the conversation Mm -hmm. and my point our point and our goal isn't to force our ideas on anyone but rather to invite people who it's helpful for into the conversation yeah um and i think that's going all the way back now to to scott's quote like I think that's what's so important about what you said is like, Hmm, there's a lot of complexity wrapped up in me. There's a lot of complexity wrapped up in how I think about these things. And so if I was to shed light on that complexity for other people, how would I do that? And that's a, that's an immensely difficult question. Mm -hmm. And so really, really good question though. And that is now us saying, okay, this is important. And the way we feel about it is important. How can I invite you into that conversation and images and metaphors and symbols are all good ways to do that. Scott, um, just recently, actually, it was like, I think back in the, when we were all still shut down, but he posted a, a photo that was or like a series of images that was really interesting. And it was another mass harpooning was what it was called. And it was about whales that were killing each other with harpoons and how like ridiculous that sounds. If you're, if you're looking at it from the perspective of whales, that this is the case and that we would, we would argue that it's, it's certain ways. And whatever, that's not my, that's not our opinion. That's Scott's opinion, right? Mm-hmm. That what he's, what he is uh, relating that to is mass shootings and how we defend that sort of stuff and whatever. But what he's trying to invite you into is to say, look how it looks if you were to see that in a different species of animal, mm-hmm. right? How would that change your perspective about something like that? And so, I think that's super helpful. And I've used his telephone line thing with our students now here because they don't understand what the soul is. They don't understand this interconnection, interconnection we have to God and to other people and how to use those things. And so when you talk about it, they're like, yeah, we all have a soul. And you're like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know. But at least now they can go. It's some sort of line that connects us to God. And we can invoke God into certain situations or, or we now know that God is connected to us in all situations, depending on how we look at things. And so, um, yeah, I just think that when we're saying that, and this is for myself is like, okay, just because I think a certain way, doesn't mean I get to say, I don't want to have the conversation all the time. Um, because that can be pretty pretentious. Like that's what it comes off as is like you're a pretentious uh, dude if you just don't have these conversations. But now it's me saying, how can I best reflect what I believe and what I feel about these things based off of that knowledge that, Mm -hmm. okay, I do have to do it. And there's a faithful way forward. What does that way look like? Well, one of them is images, symbols, and metaphors. Yeah, one of the colloquial terms I think that we're dancing around is like being a theology bro. And it's like, yeah, 
<laughs> I studied this. I'm just going to like, no, you're wrong because of this. You're this doctrine of perichoresis. Therefore, you're a heretic. And it's like there was a time in my life where that was how I spent my, my time. My Facebook memories come up. If you don't know what that is, it, it's just Facebook likes to remind you of what you said 12 years ago on this day. Wouldn't and I know would, it didn't have internet. You have some bad ones, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I would be posting like just these arguments with people. And I'm like, it's just so cringeworthy. But then it's a humbling reminder of like where I was to where I've come now. And so that's great. But, you know, the 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 balance of knowing when and when not to have the conversation is really helpful. I was thinking about, I mean, we did an episode last season about atonement theory, which if you haven't listened to that or even if you have, it might be worth listening to again, um, especially as we just begin Lent and we're approaching Easter, because the atonement is the mysterious action of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. What did it do? We, we're not really sure, and we're not sure how, <laughs> and scripture talks about it from a number of different images and metaphors right there's not one that perfectly captures it and it's not oh he's you know the sacrificial lamb that took our spot got it yeah there's a lot of church history images about that um mm -hmm. there's also the idea that he's the victorious hero that conquers the grave like there you know i could picture a comic book strip of jesus punching the grim reaper in the face or something you know like <laughs> he conquers death like death can't win there's all these different images they're trying to talk about the same thing but don't any of none of them perfectly do it. If if I ask you, Cole, what let's just do this. Cole, what is the point of you know Adam, Eve, and the Garden of Eden? Two senses or less. What's the point? The point is that uh we had harmony with God. We did something that broke that harmony with God, and now we're working to get back to that garden. I mean, that's sorry. No, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. The point is, the broader point, not uh, about your point, that is a great answer. That's not everyone's answer. A hundred right. other people will read Genesis 1 through 3 and go, oh, no, the point is God said don't do something and never disobey God. The point is some people will say, actually, it's not so much that they disobeyed God. It's that the disobeying God really represented wanting to be God themselves even though mm -hmm. it doesn't say that specifically in the text. Um, it says that they'll have the same knowledge as God, but it didn't say they wanted to live without God. There's a lot of inferring that happens, right? So mm -hmm. like when we try to say like, what is the point? And I, and I agree with you, like in the simplest terms, it's about human history and our, our purpose is to be with God and our purpose in life is to get back to that and to become aware of that. But the way that we flesh that out, everyone's got a different vantage point. That's why we've got 3,000 plus denominations. And mm -hmm. then when someone comes up to Cole after church and says, Cole, I don't know, you need to explain this to me in 10 seconds or less. And you go, really? There are hundreds of thousands of books written about the book of Genesis alone. But you want me to summarize all of that for you right now <laughs> in 10 seconds or less. And if yeah. I can't, then it means it doesn't count. Come on. We, like, we know that's not true. We know that's not how the world works, but that's how people treat scripture and faith. And they reduce it to these things where it's, it's more insulting to, I think the broader tradition of faith than anything else, mm -hmm. um, because it reduces what God is and who God is and how God's been leading us to something we can put into a box and put into a piece of paper and it fundamentally is operating from the idea if you get all the right ideas on this test then you pass and you get to heaven mm -hmm. which just seems completely contradictory even to the majority of people that have those kinds of views say mm -hmm. salvation's a free gift oh great so god gave me that free gift yeah but only if you get if you pass the test now like you got the gift but now you need to get an 85 or above <laughs> on the test of Right. Is heaven going to be like literally pearly gates or golden streets? And by the way, was communion literally Jesus's body and blood or not? Yeah. Like, so what, what about the 1500 years worth of Christians before the Protestant reformation that thought it was literally Jesus's body and blood? Mm -hmm. Do they all not count? <laughs> like, like yeah. that's, that is the, that is the subliminal idea 
in the statement, I'm a Christian, not a Catholic, because they're not mm -hmm. real Christians. What? You know, like, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and this is, like, the expansion of, like, the the small understanding of what being a non-dual person is. Um, is, like, we just... I don't say we as, like, I, this is the only way I live now, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it just nothing is that simple nothing like you just have to get over the fact that there there's nothing simple nothing nothing is as simple as just like what it is on the from face value because it's not like you can always dig into stuff to see certain parts of it like i love documentaries for this reason like documentaries are one of my favorite things to watch and it's not because like I'm trying to learn everything, but it's because they take time in an hour and a half that you don't get in a, a news story and a clipping, whatever, um, where they like can go into the, even just the background of people. One of the, so here's a, here's a really good example is um, I heard the term or I heard the name Amanda Knox, right? Growing up, heard about this girl. I don't know if you know this story. Maybe you don't she was accused of murdering her roommate in like this love triangle thing. And uh, she was put in prison for it. They found out it's like completely not true. And everybody's up in arms because Amanda Knox still is like the person who they go after for this. Mm. And she still now just has the, like that reputation to deal with. And then they put out a documentary about her and you're like, Oh, this all makes sense. Like, Right. There was literally like, <laughs> there's probably no way that she did this. Um, like, sure, maybe there's the off chance that something was wrong. And I'm sure there's some sort of theories online you can find about it. But um, like objection of, or objectively, like, it seems like it's probably not her. And they found the right person. Mm. And now this lady's got this whole reputation that's so at, that at least it it casts a little bit of doubt on the fact that like she was exactly who the press and who everybody said she was. Right. Yeah. That she's probably at least not that. Um, and it's just like, Whoa, that's crazy. And I didn't know that an hour and a half ago. And now I can empathize with that because it's deeper than that. It's more difficult than that. And it's not just yes, done <laughs> black, white, you know, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I just, I'm kind of pivoting here, but I'm just thinking about the images idea. And when we get to a certain point um, of like, we've already committed to our idea and we have all done this. Don't lie to yourself. But sometimes mid midway through an argument with a friend or a spouse, you realize you were wrong, but you, you're already mad. So you decide like you're going to double down I'm going for it. <laughs> and you're like, if I just keep talking, though, I will win. <laughs> and, um, you know, you expand this in life and, and it, it gets more insidious because we don't notice how much we do this. But um, I, I was teaching a lesson and I don't want to claim this idea. I learned it from uh, a professor in seminary, Dr. Ferdo, who's a Greek scholar. Awesome. Um, but there, there are uh, perspectives that each of the four gospels are written to different audiences. And uh, there's a famous story, of course, about the, um, the paralytic being let through the ceiling to um, get to Jesus. And Jesus says, surely, you know, the faith of your friends um, has healed you in some sense. So that's interesting theologically, right? Somehow other people's faith can impact your situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that'll preach on prayer and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, what's fascinating is when you look at art and how art depicts this story in particular, um, there are a number of them, right? Of just coloring book pages of Google it. Google the story of the paralytic being lowered through the ceiling. Look through 20 photos and see if you can notice the differences. And the primary difference between, I believe it's either Matthew or Mark. I think they're actually the same in their language on this. And Luke is that Matthew and Mark, who are believed to be more Jewish audiences, talk about the dirt being removed from the ceiling. And Luke talks about tiles being removed from the ceiling. And so was it dirt or was it tiles? Now, a lazy answer, and I don't want to just say lazy. I, I 
let me retract that retraction. Um, one answer that I think is simple would be there was dirt and tiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lazy, ignorant answer would be like, who cares, man? It's just a roof. But <laughs> an interesting answer would be to recognize historically that these Jewish communities had dirt roofs. They literally looked like mud huts in some scenarios. But in Galilean culture or Gentile culture, they had a bit more sophistication in some of their buildings and they used tiles. And so was it dirt or was it tile originally? Well, one argument would be it doesn't matter because the authors of the Gospels were contextualizing the story for their audience. And now these images are changing the way we think about what's actually being done. So that's a fascinating point on its own, right? That the authors of scripture are taking a common story and they're adjusting it to make it make sense for their audience. You might think, oh my gosh, that's scary. How could someone change the Bible? How dare they? But we do this in every freaking sermon or story or illustration we make all the time. That's why your pastor tells stories to make one idea relatable to you in a new way. So maybe Luke is making this story relatable to a Galilean Gentile audience by changing the word dirt to tile in the way that he depicts the story. Mm-hmm. Now, where we draw the line of where those depictions you know, begin to become crazy or scary, that, that's up to you, I guess. But that, that is one instance of where the, the power of the images we use is so important. Because when you look up the images of this story, it's used interchangeably. Some are famous old paintings and some are children's Bible coloring book pages of this instant. And you go again on the simplest level, it's just a roof, dude. The story is Mm -hmm. Jesus healed somebody that got lowered through the roof. You're like, yeah, that is the story. But Mm -hmm. this is one of those subtle pieces that point us to something else going on. And that art and symbols and images have helped perpetuate the story of throughout Christian history. Mm-hmm. But if we leave it to just stop complicating that, man, I just want to read the Bible. I just want the Bible and God and Jesus. It's like, right. But even the authors of scripture were utilizing these images and symbols for things like um, atonement theory or things like these parables, stained glass window. I'm in an old Presbyterian church. We have famous old stained glass windows. And the original purpose of that is when people couldn't read the windows told the story. I know we've talked about that on these episodes before. Images are powerful in the way that we use them, interpret them. I mean, some of my favorite TV shows are the ones that they go week to week, which is, you know, that's how all TV shows were, you know, a decade ago, but now everything's dropped on the same day at Netflix. But the theorizing from week to week about moments, like with the entire fandom and audience to go, oh my gosh, like this happened. He said that, which is going to mean these 12 things. And then people (laughs) debate, they disagree. And even when a series ends, like there's still some mystery about some, a character's intentions and whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's the power of these images. And, and we have to leave room for that in the way that we talk about our faith, because if everything is reducible to a bullet point, then, then we really don't have a very robust faith, right? We have faith yeah. in our ability to make sense of things, which is a faith in logic, not a faith in God which is interesting, you know, like you go down that, you know, path for long enough and it, it's not satisfying mm-hmm. because it tries to an- answer questions in a way that it can't. Yeah. I love to what Paul says <laughs> at one point, he's just like, listen, yeah, we all get that we're under like this new way of being like, we're all, we're all together in Christ. He's like, but when I'm around Jewish people, like I obey the law when I'm around Gentiles, I don't obey their laws because their laws don't line up with what I believe, but I'm not even under a law because I'm under Jesus's grace. And uh, so, yeah, the, my main goal is like, how do we make this bigger? How do we get more people involved? How do we uh, spread this to more of the people in the area? <laughs> it's just like, right. Oh, so either the main thing is Jesus or the main thing isn't Jesus and plot twist. The main thing is Jesus. It's always Jesus. Just like Sunday school. <laughs> it's always Jesus. And so, yeah, I just think that the, there's a little bit of 
arrogance in probably what Paul's saying there. Like he's he's probably being a little bit like, listen, shut up. Don't don't question me. But I'm sure there's a little bit of humility in that, too, where he's just like, yo, I don't really have it all down pat, but uh, I'm doing what I'm doing and like it's working. And I'm 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 being as faithful to Christ as I can be, but contextualizing it to the groups of people who I'm around. Yeah. If you want to be a super nerd, take a wall of your house and put all of the supposed letters of Paul 13 and put them in one column each and compare the content. Right. It's fascinating where it seems like Paul is making the opposite point to different churches about certain Mm -hmm. ideas. So either we say that's a contradiction or Paul is contextualizing for specific audiences, which is fascinating. But then the other side of it is like the things that we value. Um, I think we've talked about this too, but reading these, we're reading half of these correspondences, right? So like Paul's first letter is supposed to be first Thessal- the first letter to the Thessalonians. And that's one of the first churches, if not the first church Paul started. And that's not in the Bible that's based on historical um information. So I guess we do draw some things from beyond the Bible all the time, mm-hmm. um, such as Peter being crucified upside down and other things like that. Um, anyways, let me get off that soapbox. You, <laughs> we don't see their letter to Paul, right? We only right. see Paul's response. Like, okay, that's because Paul didn't give us all his letters when he went to jail at the end. He First the off, churches, we're reading mail. Right, right, right. We're not. It's not like Paul was like, hey, church leaders this is for everybody no he's writing this to a specific group of people Uh uh-huh that are dealing with things that are struggling with things guess what your pastor does it too when he sends out an email saying this is how we're going to handle coronavirus right right it's the same thing just obviously (laughs) we hold this in a little bit higher spiritual like formation regard and for obvious reasons but like you said i mean it's a it's in the same tradition and so then there's a question of well well i don't trust my 2022 pastor the same way i trust paul it's like right the same way that not all the disciples trusted paul as much as peter and Mm -hmm. you know and you go down that list of uh these disagreements i love when people go we need to be like the church and in the Bible. And I'm like, dude, that church was messed up too. Like all of Paul's <laughs> letters are about all these arguments in the church. What meat do we eat? What do we wear? Who can be a deacon? I don't know. Do and we have so, to circumcise everybody who says they believe in Jesus? <laughs> and Peter's like, yes. And Paul's like, no, yeah. man, chill out. Imagine being <laughs> like, the, that la- the, person, the last person to get circumcised. And the next day, Paul's letter gets there. Oh, bro, I'd be heated. I'd be fuming. Heated. Actually, I'd still be in bed, probably. Um, so my, my point about Thessalonians, though, Paul started this church, left, shot, you know, so so we can even talk about the pastoral plan of planning a church and then bouncing. Um, let's not talk about that, actually. But he he starts his church, and now they write him questions about some doctrine. And apparently, one of the questions is, what happens when we die? Because in First Thessalonians 4, Paul starts saying, I know some of you are worried about what happens to your brothers and sisters that have died. Have no fear, you know, when you to to be, you know, present absent from the body, present with the Lord, will be caught up in the sky, all this like, you know, uh revolutionary or uh, revelationistic language about what happens after death. That's a new word. I just made it. Cole made a face. Yeah. <laughs> revelationistic. I like that. Um <laughs> It has echoes but, of revelation. And so we go, Paul just told us about life after death. And you're like, cool. But the subliminal, interesting, fascinating point is apparently Paul started a church and left without telling them what happens after you die. So much <laughs> that they had to write him a letter to ask, dude, what happens after we die? And he had to say, oh, let me clear some things up. So apparently... Whereas now in 2022, the first question, knock on your door. Hey, uh, have you, do you know Jesus? Do you know what will happen when you die? That's our opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's crazy. That's the inverse in so many ways. I'm not saying that's not an important question to unpack. But again, those are the subliminal parts to, to how we interpret and think about these things that we miss if we, if we forsake all imagery. 
If we forsake all metaphor, all symbol, if we reduce interpretation, which is like a more um, abstract version of this concept of images, symbols, metaphors, if we reduce interpretation to, no, the literal words there are exactly what they mean at every turn, well, then we're missing it. Mm -hmm. Because we don't believe that half the time, right? <laughs> like, there's so many instances where we're like, yeah, yeah it said don't eat you know, <laughs> seafood in the Old Testament, but we don't really mean that anymore. Oh, why not? Because have you had Maryland crabs? <laughs> Obviously, that's God ordained. But then when people say that about any other hot topic issue, it's like, wow, you just don't respect scripture. It's like mm -hmm. there's so much going on that we just yeah. throw out and the window. Like we have that story or we have that, I guess, I guess it's an image from um this is Isaiah 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman or virgin is with child and shall bear a son and shall and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, he will eat. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good will land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim uh, departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Yeah. And so what Isaiah is talking about most literally is that there's going to be a young woman or a virgin. She's going to have a baby. This is like the during right before Babylonian exile. Right. And he's saying that woman is going to have a baby. That baby is going to be eating curds and honey, which is like not a sign of wartime it means like there's going to be peace. And that child will be a sign that Israel will be fine. Mm. That is most and, and like immediately, like that baby is going to grow up. And by the time it's eating curds and honey, which is like it's got digestive, it's got the ability to the baby has the ability to digest that stuff. You're going to be in peace. That's like, OK, in three years, we're going to be good. But when you read that, I'm sure you heard echoes of a person who comes later. Right. A person who comes later down the line, who comes later in the story, who tries to do the same thing. We all know who that is. And I'm not going to say his name. John the Baptist? It is not. He eats locusts and honey. It's Jesus. Right? And so we, if we want to read scripture literally, then that, that doesn't say anything about who Jesus is. It doesn't say anything about Jesus. It says that lady she's a virgin right now means she's probably going to get married soon she's probably going to have a baby right away and in three years ish two years ish that baby will be able to digest curds and honey which means we'll be back to peace it's basically like a, a really short prophecy about what's going to happen in the real immediate future but we find out later that that has echoes of who christ is and so mm -hmm. it's very telling of who christ is going to become and what Christ is going to do. And so we can, the writers connect that back to those echoes because they see, oh, what Isaiah was talking about here didn't actually happen, but we see that now in who Jesus is. Right. The way um, some, some people listening might be like, yeah, that's because it wasn't really about that other baby. It was about Jesus all along. I think it's both. And yeah. the way my, um, cause that I say that because that's what my thinking was for so long. I had an old Testament professor, uh, named Dr. Tool. And he, the way he framed that is like the prophetic power. Uh, I'm going to find this quote and I'll correct it in a future episode, but this is the gist. The prophetic power of that moment wasn't exhausted by that first instance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like, we read that now in hindsight, in light of Jesus, looking for Jesus. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, because now we look for Jesus in every moment. My entire childhood, I thought um, 
uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there was a fourth figure in the fiery furnace. Yeah, Jesus. That's Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> it doesn't say that anywhere. There, and in fact, the scripture implies it's an angel of the Lord um, mm-hmm. that, that Jacob wrestled with God. And it's like, actually, it seems to imply that it wasn't necessarily God himself and that it might have just been an angel. Like, there is a mm-hmm. lot of room where we're trying to read Jesus into these moments. And it doesn't mean they're not pointing us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But, but like you're saying, it doesn't say that. And the same, you know, demographics of people that say, it, just read what it says. I'm like, right. That's what we're saying. Yeah. What it says, you know, it says in the dirt, moments where you should it says, read it literally. It says dirt and then tiles. Do you think that they were just lazy and were like, ah, roof's a roof? Or do you think that was on purpose? Yeah. It said a fourth figure and their garments weren't burned. Don't you think if it was Jesus, they would have said that? You know, like it's just those moments that that's a great mm-hmm. point. And, um, Maybe this is a good way to wind down since we're we're ramping up more and more. We're winded up right yeah, now. Yeah, wound, yeah. wound it up. Yeah. We're wound up right now. Um, yeah, I, we don't. We're not going to play the clip, but there was a moment that you were talking about in the Mari episode um, where we're talking. What was the language that was being used? I forget exactly how it. She was saying how it was like she she felt she needed to to create a progressive oriented children's i don't know what she calls it children's storybook resource that isn't just and she paused because she's looking for the words and she goes straight evangelical indoctrination or something like that and And we both laughed we both laughed yeah and and then she laughed because yeah we get it like (laughs) no it it is because well but but yeah but what what could probably be something that could be misconstrued from that is that we're laughing at conservative people or we're right. laughing at people who are in a church that's evangelical. No, we're not laughing at that. We're laughing at the fact that a lot of curriculum and a lot of children's storybooks is that straight evangelical church fundamentalist indoctrination. And that, that is not that that is outside of conservatism. Like you right. can be a conservative person, still take the Bible seriously. I think it's one of the reasons why we even started this podcast is like, we're not saying we're the most progressive people. We're not saying right. that there right. aren't some conservative ideals that maybe we even hold. Mm-hmm. The church I'm in right now leans conservative, but our first allegiance and our first thing that we hold to be true about our faith is that we're not following a set of ideals outside of that of Jesus's. Right. And so or we're constantly following those, trying to self-correct, ahead. right? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to we're trying to constantly put up if we were to co- create a bullet point list, we're trying to put that against Jesus as I know Jesus today. Mm-hmm. Not because when I was 12, I've been holding on to my idea in my argument for 8 years. And I don't want to admit I was wrong. And it's like, no, like I need to be willing to submit. I need to present those ideas every day Mm -hmm. and begin each day with that humility to say, God, like, what are you doing in my life now? Am I ready to see this other thing now that I wasn't for the first 12 years of this path? Right. Because it's like either, either that's the most, again, that's either it's Jesus or it's not. Mm -hmm. And that is what we hold our lives to. And we're not perfect at it. I'm sitting in a home that Jesus would go, why do you own that? Or why are you living in that home? You could live on such less so that you could give more to the poor. Like, yeah, you're right. I'm also trying to give as much as I can. Right. right. But in the place we're at in life, like this is a part of who we are. And we're like wrestling with that. And the way we treat other people, like how can I start to be more open-handed with how I treat other people? How can I be more willing to, to give them grace mm-hmm. in moments? Well, guess what? That means I have to listen to their experience and say, I don't know what you've experienced. I have never experienced that. And so here you go. Here's like, you get the upper hand in this conversation, whatever that even means, right? Because either we're following Jesus or we're not. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes what comes through in these things, and 
you know, the, the, I guess the other side of it would be like, well, isn't that what Mari's doing from the other perspective? Fair argument, I guess. But what we see sometimes, and I would argue that's not what she's doing. Um, what we see sometimes is that, okay, we've, we've got these ideals that aren't found in scripture that we write into curriculum. Mm-hmm. And we even write curriculum or we even write things into curriculum that are not what it says in scripture or not what Jesus would have to say about those things. And so in those cases, yeah, that's what we're laughing at. We're laughing at the fact that we've seen that we've seen that play out, right? You've seen how it says, read your Bible and memorize all of this so that you have it. Right. And what they've said is like, take this word and write it upon your heart is what mm-hmm. it says in scripture. And that we've taken to say, you got to memorize, but you got to memorize the Bible. You got to memorize the Bible. You got to memorize the Bible. I don't know why that voice is always Southern, <laughs> but that's not what it means right. to write it on your heart in the ancient world. The heart is the seat of all of your emotions. It's actually where you think from. It's actually where you feel from. That's what the term means. Mm-hmm. We mean it as like the emotional frou-frou-ry side, but also like the deepness of us. Yeah. So what they're saying is, it needs to totally encapsulate everything about you. It needs to change how you act, how you treat people, how you talk, how you look at other people, how you uh, respond, what you do with your, your money, what you do with your time, all of those things. You now have to let that be written on your heart and change who you are. That's what it means. Yeah. It doesn't mean memorize scripture, but that's what they've turned it into. And, and, and memorizing so that's scripture the stuff we're joking about. can be a Isn't good that? thing. Yeah right like and and so much of my faith has come from or or some of the building blocks of how i process things are because i grew up in a church that made me memorize scripture but it's different to say that is a value that we Mm -hmm. should share and to say that this is what god expects of you because what that produced in me was and to this day even though logically i don't believe this but what i feel on some level is if i don't read my bible for at least 30 minutes today then god is angry at me. Mm -hmm. If I don't do that, if I spend more time on Instagram today than I do reading my Bible, then God is mad at me. And on the one hand, someone might be going, yeah, yeah, maybe he is. But that is such a Pharisaic idea that we've reduced it to making sure that we are studying, memorizing our doctrines, as opposed to the question being flipped, are we living out Matthew 25? Did we feed the poor? Did we visit people in prison? Did we give clothes to the naked? That that is a, a harsh saying of Jesus, but that's mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with did you get it right about baptizing babies or adults? Did you get it right about is this literally my body and blood or figuratively my body and blood or somewhere in between? Mm-hmm. Newsflash, the Protestant reformers didn't all agree on what that meant. Calvin versus Wingley versus Lutheran, completely different perspectives on that. Um, it but when we make it into, oh yeah just do this one thing that's indoctrination indoctrination it just is Mm -hmm. when we've decided like our view is the way because the fundamental the the fundamental operating idea at the bottom of that is that i shouldn't trust this person because they're wrong about x and because they're wrong about x it invalidates everything else they're going to say ever Mm -hmm. and the the presupposed idea to that kind of thinking is that you have not messed up any idea in your own thinking. Right. So if one idea can invalidate everything that someone else is saying, then you are implying that you are right about everything you're saying, which we know isn't true. Right. So at a certain point, (laughs) something's got to give in this, in this tension. And in the Mari episode, I, I agree with you. I don't think Mari is making that point that, you know, it's just always this demographic bad, my demographic good, but rather that what we see in popular Christian culture, which is dominated in at least the curriculum field by a more conservative bent, is that there's a lot of these kinds of values that are espoused as the the only way that aren't yeah. actually the only way. Um, mm-hmm. and And on the flip side of that, as you already mentioned, like this isn't an attack of conservative people. That's why we liked Roar's book, the wisdom pattern that we did last season. And I know a number of you have already you know, touched base with me and said, you got the book and that's awesome. 
Roar, I mean, I really stand with Roar on most of what he says. Like, it's just, I, I have an issue of indo- with indoctrination of any kind. Like, that's yeah. the problem, right? There's, there's a difference between teaching someone values, teaching someone how to use the tools physically or metaphorically to, to get through life and to think about these things. And a different, that's different from indoctrinating someone and saying, this is the way, period, because it, it's not. Right. It's only the way that, you know, until you know a different thing. And so um, there's just so many layers to peel back on that. And and I liked what you said, like there there are a number of guests or or, uh, guests I'd love to have. There are a number of voices, (laughs) right? Authors, speakers that I love that are hated by progressives. And then there's another list of speakers, authors that I love that are hated by conservatives Mm -hmm. and that's the point, you know, like, uh, it's not, oh, I just want to read the other side. Sometimes we, we say we're doing that, but we're really just doing research to attack the side we hate. We're just Mm -hmm. looking for talking points. I genuinely gain something from people that are diametrically opposed on this spectrum. Um, and I, I think that's me trying to live out an ideal that I, I see in people that I've respected, like Pope John Paul, II, um, CS Lewis, uh, because, they recognize faith isn't about choosing a side. It's about choosing Jesus. And that's going to take you on all kinds of zigzags in life that are going to make you seem contradictory and paradoxical because Jesus was paradoxical. Mm. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes by Lewis, it was in a response to this, uh, this guy who was critiquing something he'd said. Um, and so it's in a book called, it's a collection of essays called uh, God in the Dock. And it's in uh, a rejoinder to Dr. Pittenger, which, you know, come on, that's some 1950s English, right? What are you Um, reading, bro? Come on, son. (laughs) And he says, the the quote is, if the pygmies think me a giant and the Patagonians think me a pygmy, a pixie, then perhaps I'm the right size. Hmm. If the conservatives think I'm a raging progressive and the progressives think I'm a raging conservative, then perhaps I'm somewhere where I'm supposed to be. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say that like we should just, you know, toe the middle ground of every issue, every topic forever. I don't think there's always two sides to an argument. Sometimes there's one side, sometimes there's 12. But it's interesting when we re- try to reduce it to like, I need my side to support everything I do and say always. Mm-hmm. Now you've bought into indoctrinations and ideology not into Jesus. Jesus made the Jews mad just as much as the Romans, just as much as the Sadducees and the Pharisees who hated each other. Mm-hmm. He made everybody mad. And that's because he wasn't playing for sides. He, he was living out the truth. Yeah. I think that's like the argument I can see too is, Oh, you're just asking for everybody to be centrists. And it's like, no, <laughs> we're just asking you to use a different uh, measuring stick for what is good and what is evil, for what is right and what is wrong. And the measuring stick is like internalize the teachings of Jesus, internalize what he was about. Yeah. Like, because it doesn't look the same, but it does protect a woman who is caught in adultery and they're like we're about to stone her right mm-hmm. he's like as long as you ain't sinned they're like dang it this guy and then in the beauty of that moment is like that's the thing that's most important is like no this woman's life matters and so we're not going to kill her and then when everybody leaves and only after everybody leaves jesus goes doing that probably might not be the best thing might try to like live your life a little bit different than that. And that's cool. That's cool. It's like, it puts certain things in perspective. It's like, no, this is important. The most important thing is the protection of people before we think about anything of like reforming their actions or asking Mm. them to reform their actions. Talk about the mystery of faith. No. Yeah. Cut me go. (laughs) Well, and like I'm, I'm doing a workshop this weekend and I'm talking about Nicodemus and like in that moment, Jesus has such a gotcha ability. Nicodemus, high ranking 
Pharisee Jewish council person comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid people are going to see him starts asking all these questions about how like he thinks he's he thinks Jesus is right but he has no one no way of understanding it and Jesus sits with him and talks through it all with him and like you can almost hear like the joking side of it where he's like well, how do I go back in the womb? You said I have to be born again. How do I go back in the womb? And and you can just almost see Jesus like laughing, like, bro, you work in church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like what he says to him. He's like, you work in church. How yeah. do you not see this? Yeah. And it's just like, there's so much to who Jesus is. And, to, and I think this is the hard part about what we have taught about faith is like, just believe in this guy believe this guy's death and resurrection mattered. Yeah. Also believe that like what he taught here is a better way forward. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, remember that stuff. Remember what he did, how the set, like the sacrifice, the, the giving up of himself for all the, the resurrection, not under completely understanding that, but also like he gave you stuff to understand and he gave you stuff to wrestle with. Mm. Like, And so sometimes when I think Jesus talks in parables and things like that, and there's multiple people in the story, you're like, well, where am I in this story? It's like bounce around because I'm sure you find yourself at oftentimes as the son in the prodigal son story or the son who stayed or the field worker who's watching this all play out. And you're like, wow, what a cool thing. Or maybe you're the father who's had to, who's had to just turn your son over and say like, I don't have any control over this anymore. Mm. And then to say in that same breath, like, I forgive you. And I want you to be a part of this again. Like that's all stuff to work with and wrestle with. And you can't do that from, from a position that just says you have to read what's there and that's it. Because there's a well of, there's a well of spirituality that, that you're missing. Yeah. So we are in the search for the depth of the well. Episode 36. Can't get there by choosing sides. Episode 36. They said what? And we said what? Grace and peace.